Well, good evening and welcome. I'm Judy Koch. I'm the Richard and Elizabeth Curry Chief of Public Programming and Learning here at the AGO. And I welcome you here this evening, um, acknowledging that we're gathered on Mississauga territory on land that has been Anishinaabe, Haudenosaunee, and Wendat for all through time. <clears throat> Thank you very much for joining us tonight at one of our free evenings where we bring the Toronto art community together with contemporary artists um, for conversation and exchange. We're really pleased that our speakers, Hervin Anderson and Jeffrey Uslip, have joined us, have traveled all the way to Toronto to join us to celebrate the opening of Hervin Anderson Backdrop. This exhibition was originally curated for the Contemporary Art Museum in St. Louis by Jeffrey Uslip, who is the Deputy Director of Exhibitions and Programs and Chief Curator at the Contemporary Art Museum in St. Louis. We're really delighted to be collaborating with the Contemporary Art Museum on this project. This is Hervin Anderson's first major solo exhibition in Canada. <laughs> it's very pleasing. And it surveys his practice in depth, presenting new and recent paintings alongside with previously unseen sculptures and photographs in addition to large-scale drawings. Innovative exhibitions of contemporary work could not be realized without the generosity of individual supporters. And we are very grateful tonight to Maxine Kronofsky-Gluskin and Ira Gluskin for the support of this project. Hervin Anderson was born in England to Jamaican parents and lives and works in London, so he's traveled a long way for this. He's best known for evocative paintings that engage with charged social histories and shifting notions of cultural identity, which is what makes this a really interesting piece for Toronto today. Please join me in welcoming Hervin and Jeffrey to the stage. Hello, everyone. Can you hear me? Great. Um, thank you so much for your very kind introduction and invitation to be here. This has been an incredible experience. And you know, we would be remiss if we didn't first thank the AGO, who have all been so incredible. And the staff here has been so thoughtful and so intrepid. And the show looks absolutely excellent. Um, Kitty Scott and Adelina Velas really um, were our partners in this and in, in realizing how this exhibition could change and be seen in new light. Um, what we thought we'd do today is really kind of take you through the show because you haven't quite seen it yet. So we were going to use this talk as a way to think through themes in Hervin's work, think about how the work is contextualized and how the exhibition is really crafted. You know, as Judy mentioned, Backdrop was conceived to show works on paper, photography, and sculpture alongside his very celebrated paintings. And really what that shows is a multiple way of looking at this work. Um, Hervin's work is very much about spying in on another's culture, sliding between cultures, notions of inside and outside, space and subjectivity, 
And that really comes to the fore either through his landscapes, urban scenes, barbershops, etc. So we're going to walk you through the show and really kind of try and bring to the fore some themes. So we started the exhibition in St. Louis with this particular painting called Grafting. And when you look at this painting, one thing you'll see is that it's while it's visually confusing, that's intentional. It was based on two trees, one a pear tree, one a mango tree, overlaid on each other. And you'll notice there's a figure perched in, in, the, um, in the canopy. And really, when we think about um, looking in on another's culture, it really becomes emblematized in that figure. So that was the painting we really started in St. Louis with. And we will come back to that painting, but. Is there anything you wanted to add? Because it was, the, it was a new painting that you made for, for that show. Uh, yes. I guess in this, it's, it doesn't have the same position in the show uh, here as it does, uh, as it did in St. Louis. So in St. Louis, it started um, the exhibition of. Uh, so I, I don't know. I think there's so many places to start. I'm just trying to work out which. Uh, which point I should kind of come in to uh, come into the work, but as I said, it was um, an image of my my brother, and he was born uh, in Jamaica, and and it was, and and then came here when he was kind of 12, 13, so uh, maybe be younger than that. So it was just um, this this conversation and that used to go on in the house and. More to the point, it was more about him and what he used to do, and you know the idea that he would go go scrumping and uh, looking for you know looking for apples and pears and whatever. And then, so it was a, just the idea that he moved from one place to the next and just um, just acted the way he would normally behave and. Um, so with just this time of kind of shifting space, uh, you know, kind of, yeah, shifting space, shifting time, and almost behaving in kind of in this one kind of action, which, um, you know, seemed to be something I could, uh, you know, something, something I could play with, you know, an idea that uh, I can look into, and just this idea that, I've, I've kind of noticed now. I, th I thought I'd kind of moved away from some of some ideas in the in the sense of uh, not um, not wanting to be work with personal images, but you suddenly I realised that I actually was back back to these things again. And uh, my brother seemed to be a kind of key figure as well. Some of the things that he did and some of the phot photographs he took seemed to be um, important. In what I do. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, for me, when I saw this painting, um, I didn't know it was your brother. You know, yeah. so when I first saw the painting, for me, I knew that there was, um, it, it felt very much about looking in, which leads us to how we really begin the show here in, in Toronto. And, and the show begins with two paintings. One is an urban scene, one is a landscape. And you'll notice that in both paintings, the foreground has a very um, strong decorative grill. 
And this decorative grill is a device that Hervin used quite often in his work. So the painting um, to my right uh, with the red grill is called Welcome Carib, and it was made while Hervin was on residency in Trinidad. And on the last day, he walked into a bar and saw this starburst pattern, which I'm not sure if you can read it on the screen, but it says welcome, right? So you look at this painting, you know immediately you're peering through these openings and you're barred from entering. And really this notion of being on the outside, being excluded is something that, um, something that really comes to the fore. Again, this notion of being in the tree, looking down. But here, you start the show not being able to enter in. And for me, it always reminded me, and it was actually the first painting I saw of your work in London many years ago. And when I saw this painting, I knew immediately that um, I would always be outside, and I would always look harder. And this sense of sustained looking to try to get within, to understand more. Um, and we paired that painting with a landscape called Constructed View. And what's interesting about this particular painting is that you see um, the grill is breaking down. It's not as stoic, it's not as firm, and it actually allows you to come in. <laughs> when you're in this space flickering between these two paintings, I mean, this is where you start to understand inside and outside. And Hervin, I know you had actually had a great insight today in our walkthrough with Stefan about constructed view and about the differences, particularly in these two fences, and I thought you might want to share that with everyone. Well, it's con the second, uh, the constructive view painting, it's, it's almost as it is, it's, as it says. It's, uh, most of the, f when you see the use, this, the use of the security grill in lots of the paintings, it's of an actual scene, something I've seen and kind of re-rendered. So uh, this time around, I think it was just something I wanted to, I guess once, when you're making these views and you're always kind of taken from a photograph, it comes a point when you start to want to re-examine re them in some way. So this was one way I thought, what could happen if I kind of re-examine this by making my own view or what it would be to actually, <laughs> thank you, what it would be to, um, you know, to make these views. And another thing happens when you're actually painting a grill over a um, over kind of a landscape or a foliage in some way. It's it's strangely you it's it's you, you do feel like you're actually cutting this thing up. Mm -hmm. You're actually scarring this thing, and and although it's a pattern and it's meant to look you know in, engaging and and to, to to stop you forget and let you forget what you're actually the purpose of the grill is for. It actually it's um, it's actually quite difficult in, a, in an odd way to actually just make these marks because you feel like you're making cuts into into the into the foliage into the landscape. And it was also 
because I went to Kew Gardens to um, to collect the images of the um, of the palm trees, it it felt like I was also uh, it was kind of a double kind of shift. I was you know I was making the point twice somehow in the sense of because the the palm trees I was painting was already from Kew Gardens, which was already a <coughs> already an image that was or already some or something that had been transported into a kind of you know a, a new environment or and, and have a new purpose in in some way. So it's um so I think that this picture just started to kind of was a point at which I started to kind of not drift away, but started to kind of think about um, how to kind of uh, rethink these paintings and how to, not so much using the grill, but uh, just, yeah, how can I make a, this point just, just by looking at the, mm -hmm. uh, how do you think? Yeah, I mean, and, and that's also the point. I think when you see this painting, these security grills were created to protect people from being kidnapped, right? And I think what's interesting about these paintings is that in this work, these grills are everywhere, but Hervin brings it to the fore and makes us actually see it. So what's ubiquitous in the landscape of Trinidad is, um, it's a decorative device that's essentializing, right? It's a decorative device that creates a level of exclusion and safety. So it really, it really flickers, flickers between. And you can really see in this, in this image, you know, the real difference between them. And I think the title Constructed View obviously points to the fact that it's a fiction. And I think in all of your work, it's this notion of how do we remember how do we misremember? How do we re-remember? You know, what is the role of memory in painting? And as Hervin mentioned, the majority of his work comes from photography, which is why, again, the photographs are in the show. And we'll kind of get there and kind of see what is the relationship between these um, multiple, multiple bodies of work. So in St. Louis and also uh, here at the AGO, we created a room of Hervin's celebrated barbershop series. And this work is uh, Peter's series. And this work was inspired by the Windrush generation of Jamaican migrants who came to the UK after World War II. And one of the kinds of, um, they experienced numerous forms of racism. And one form of racism was that white barbers wouldn't cut the hair of people of color. So these barber shops, these improvisational barber shops came to the fore in people's homes and people's attics. So when, when you look at this work, um, really think about memory. They were based on photographs that um, Hervin had from him and his father in Peter Brown's salon. So there's an autobiographical content as well. And you know, we'll start with flat top, which I've often said I think is a masterpiece. And what's, for me, really interesting about this painting is this idea of disappearance. You know that there was an event. You see the hair on the floor. The figure in Hervin's work is always present, even in absence. And I think that's something you should think about when you walk through the space after this conversation. You'll notice that objects on the wall seem to float away. 
mirrors reflect nothing. You're in the middle of a memory, and it's quite generous, actually, when you look at these paintings, because you'll <laughs> notice that the fourth wall is removed. You know, where you couldn't enter the scene in Welcome Carib, here you can. You can literally walk into, well, quite not literally, but allegorically walk into the room. And remember, when I showed you that painting of the figure in the tree, and I said, you know, for me, it's spying in on another's culture. You, as beholder on these paintings, are both barber and spy. You take on the subject position of both. And, you know, you see in this painting, it's almost as if it's melting away. Mirrors floating from the wall. There's a real sense of what we've talked about in terms of the, um, an aqueous subconscious. You know, they're very psychologically charged. And no, um, I think in, in, this, in, the, in the whole series, when, when I started to make the painting, these paintings, I, I, I guess I didn't really expect to be making quite a, Quite this, quite this many paintings in a way. So it was. Um, so I'd come across this space. Uh, I, I knew it uh, before. Uh, so I, it's. I guess it. For me, it had kind of many. Uh, many connotations in the sense that it, I thought it is a type of place that didn't exist anymore. It was something that somewhere that had disappeared, something that kind of disappeared long ago. But I'd start to kind of come back into, but <clears throat> no, what my, because my dad had used this place and I took him to, to get his haircut one day and he's, you know, I kind of, you just thought, wow, how, how, you, know, in, you know, in the 21st century, this is still here. And you just, you thought it was a kind of dying and kind of a, an old idea but it just seemed to be kind of charged with kind of ideas. Maybe, I'm not quite sure, I'm trying, still trying to work out if they are old ideas, old ideas about around migration and, um, you know, the disparate politics, you know, and so I, I don't know, I, I was trying to kind of inject it with this kind of, maybe otherness, but, uh, but also at the same time, I wasn't sure, should I be doing this? Is it, you know, is it a kind of idea? And plus, I was a little bit kind of concerned at the time, I remember, because this wasn't, I felt like an intruded, in a way, mm -hmm. into making space, because it wasn't, it's a private space. Mm -hmm. It was uh, kind of a friend of families and so forth, so. But, you know, you had to make the painting. And that's, that's the key, you had to make this painting. And I think great paintings show you something that you can't already see in the world. And if, if we think about art and the way I think about art, art is not about visualizing an idea that's academic and didactic. Rather, art is a, a way of being in the world. It's a state, a state of becoming and a state of unbecoming and a state of re-becoming. And I think that that's, for me, very clear um, in these paintings. And these are two more paintings you'll see. And this is where I think we see the incredible generosity of Hervin's work, not only because the fourth wall is removed, but on the painting um, to my right, 
you see the subject with his back completely turned to you. You know, there's this real sense of vulnerability here that he's just looking down, you know, with downcast eyes, as they say, right? And then the figure to my left, um, this is the place where he appears, turned, and, and really this was the place that I felt as though I can walk into the scene, but we know it's a memory because look very carefully at the wheels of that chair. Do you see, it's almost as if it's smudged, smeared, coming away. It's almost as if it's um, dissolving. And I think that's something very important. The roof of the painting to my left, the figure in profile, there's no ceiling, right? It's, it's completely atmospheric. These worlds are coming undone and they're open and they're vulnerable. And I think that, you know, I think one of the reasons this body of work has become so celebrated and so important to us is because we feel like, or I feel like, in this moment, I can enter in and be part of um, another's experience. I, well, for me, <clears throat> I guess, because I'd made, made, <clears throat> made all this work and it, there was no figure, and. I think part of part of my uh, part of my thing was I'd not not missing the point. The whole point of the space was to do with you know people being occupying the space, and I you know I, I wasn't sure about um, what the figure you know was concerned, a little bit concerned about using the figure and a little bit, a bit concerned about how the, what state the figure should be in in a way. So. So it was important to actually just to kind of maybe to leave the figure at one point and just kind of work through the space, which I'd, I'd almost seen as, as kind of had its own questions hanging over it. So I was just trying to kind of maybe pull those questions out and then actually kind of maybe deal with the figure, which seems to have other questions maybe separate from what the space was um, uh, seemed to kind of offer for me, but um, and I, I just quite enjoyed the, the vulnerable position of these two. Uh, I think that I'm sure that they're, they're two different people, so it's not the same. So I, I just enjoy their <coughs> their vulnerability in a way, and how they are, you know, they they're they're at the mercy of someone, you know, who you know the viewer. The barber, I mean, you know, so that that was kind of kind of the tension that I was quite enjoying. So. And then we come to two other paintings called Attic and Loft. And here, one thing that I found really quite interesting is that the you see the compositional space in one, and then in the other, the the background comes straight to the foreground really pushing you out. And it's almost impenetrable here for me, but it's also the place where it's the most reduced, the most abstract, um, and, and it becomes another. It becomes another space or another way of remembering. And these were quite late, weren't they? Yes, I, <coughs> I don't know, as it happens sometimes, you, you do something and you're, you're making these images and then you decide, um, you, you think you finished with, with something, but then 
something else comes up. And I think with this painting, it was, um, I think honestly I was, because you see in the, the image on the right, a residue of another painting, which was essentially going to be what was happening. Um, you know, I was going to remove the, the kind of the roof line and just kind of go into the painting a little bit more and concentrate on the kind of this, this central area and see what happened there. But then I, I, I felt I had, um, I felt like I was kind of reducing things down. I was losing the, the tension of the space, you know, in a way. And I felt I had to come back. So hence on the right-hand side, me kind of going back to that original. But then it's, I don't know, it, it, it seemed to have transformed and, and it became more, em, more an emphasis on this shape. Uh, it, yeah, it just became more of an abstract kind of painting. And, and in, in a way, it's, to me, it's kind of losing this kind of room, sense of this room. And when you, when you look at this painting upstairs, you know, really notice the impressions, the impression of the wallpaper and the ripping away. And you'll notice that drip mark. This is, I think for me, just one of those keys, like what happens when the room cries? What happens when the room, I don't know, bleeds? There's, there's a real sense of, of the body in all of these works. And I think in that drip, in that tear, in that um, index, so to speak, the index of the paint, um, the index of the stroke. I think for me, it also makes me think about the hair on the floor and flat top, the index of the event. Um, so the body in this work for me is also incredibly present, even though it's abstract. And I think that's something that also comes to the fore. These paintings are both figurative and abstract. And so think about if there's no body, what are they figuring? You know, are they figuring loss? Are they figuring um, remembrance, really, for me? Well, I, I think also a, a point is, I should, I should make as well is, <clears throat> I think what happens is you, you start making these paintings and they're, they're about something. They're about an idea, um, you know, your brother in the tree, or, uh, <clears throat> A barbershop and it, what happens in there, and then at some point it starts to shift, and you're concerned with painting and questions about painting and questions about abstraction, and then and then you're asking yourself, well, is this? I don't know. I guess for me, it's just there's a kind of this double edge thing, uh, just about. I guess kind of politics of who I am and should I be making uh, abstract painting or should I be making things, you know, political statements at the same time. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's something that's, it's kind of a fascinating thing. It's not a, I don't think it's an oppressive question. It's not a total, it's not a battle, but it's just, a, I just find it kind of an in interesting kind of idea okay. of this person should be making, what can they do? They can only make, <coughs> they can only make work of one type.
essentially. And then we move on to the landscapes. And this was an installation view in St. Louis. I show you this so you can see them all together. Um, one of the advantages of having the show come to the AGO is really the architecture of the galleries. You really have a sense of intimacy here. You really could see the work. You really have an engagement of a one-to-one. -one. Um, but I wanted to show this slide so you can see a cross-section of how Hervin is, is um, dealing with the landscape and how each of these paintings understands space and subjectivity differently. So we start with Diego on my left and Beaded Curtain on my right. And you know, in Beaded Curtain, again, think about the grill. Think about how you can almost walk into the scene. You can just move them away and enter in. And Diego on the left, for me, was the painting that acknowledged the relationship to photography. Um, you see the grid marks. You see the, the leaves pressed up against the foreground as if it's a windshield, as if it's real. Um, and one thing I've, I've thought quite a bit about the notion of the grid in, in Diego is that, you know, as an extension of the grill, right? So why does an artist use a grid? Essentially, it's to scale up, more or less. And so when we think about an artist like Chuck Close, who used the grid in a way to um, understand photoreal, there was a fidelity to fact. Hervin's impulse with the grid for me is absolutely the opposite. It's completely counterintuitive. How does Cartesian and Euclidean devices of making break down in a way that mirrors how memory breaks down? And I think it's really, um, these two paintings for me are, are really um, important because it thinks about entering and not entering the landscape into completely different ways. And so before you speak about them, I had to finally ask you, who is Diego? Um, I visited a friend in San Diego and it was a <coughs> well, palm tree that I had I'd, I'd, I'd found there, I'd seen there. So I, <clears throat> so it was, it was right at this moment where I was kind of uh, just not appropriating, but uh, not using other, uh, trying to create much like constructed view, trying to, to see, uh, because I'd been so specific. On the right-hand side, the, the image is from um, Beady Curtain, it's from, it's from Jamaica. It's pretty much a, a photograph that I had taken, whereas, um, yes, Diego is on, <coughs> it, it's, it's, it's totally unconnected in a way. It's, you know, just a palm tree. And uh, I just wondered if, if, if there could be that same kind of uh, <coughs> interests, that same kind of tension, if or where it would take me if I'd, if I'd use something that wasn't as loaded with um, an, an idea as, you know, just using a, a palm tree, <coughs> in a sense. So, so I, it, it did, I think it did go somewhere else in the, in the sense of maybe I just started to kind of just play with imagery and play with the grids 
and see what would come, mm -hmm. come from that in a way. So. And another painting that was made uh, for Backdrop was this painting called Twins, and it's a diptych. And it's really the place where Hervin is thinking about um, images on top of each other in the way that there were two trees in grafting. Here are, um, it's kind of as if, again, the scene is just floating away or drifting away. Um, the lavender always felt like light bouncing off water. For me, it felt like um, unreal. It felt, it felt like a different kind of nature. It felt like remembering a landscape versus painting a landscape. Um, there's nothing anchoring this painting. You know, it's almost as if you're um, floating. I mean, I often think about seeing Hervin's landscapes as um, through a veil of tears or in the rain or, um, yeah, real, I mean, for me, it's really, uh, there's this real sense of an aqueous drip. Like, <coughs> the, the palm trees in this side, I, I, it, was, <coughs> it was really quite a kind of fine balance with, uh, you know, how, how, many, how many of them I put in, or if I just put one, just to kind of give a clue. Because it, it was a point at which I was thinking, should I just, <coughs> Should, let, should I just let it be a kind of an abstract, almost abstract expressionist painting mm -hmm. of just concentrating purely on Mark and trying to develop this kind of uh, floating, uh, nothing anchored kind of idea. But <clears throat> I guess the, the, I, did, I did feel that it just needed something to kind of anchor it mm -hmm. in a way and that would and the way to anchor it was I, I felt just by ha having these few dots of these these images that seem to resemble palm trees mm -hmm. so, so it, it was a canopy the side of a mountain and I mean this is the place where the works on paper really inform the show these are these works are large-scale I would say even monumental. There's a different kind of celerity to making, but you'll notice there's pink and there's blue in the composition and the pink, um, the, the, the elements of pink are from one image and the elements of blue are from another image. And you can see side by side, uh, the works on paper really compositionally inform the exhibition. So when you walk through, think about how they, um, Flicker, and these works on paper were new for you. Was it? Yes. Um, you'll, you'll see, there's, uh, there's another work on paper you'll see, but um, I guess this this one was partly to do with process and uh, in the sense of <clears throat> I was trying to sometimes you put two images together and you're trying to track what you're looking at. Uh, each time. So it was actually just a, a way of just tracking where things were mm -hmm. and where I should be putting things and how to pull them together. But then, as is what can happen is you do that and then you, a, whole, a whole other thing kind of appears. And it, every time I look at it, I, 
it feels like a kind of map, it feels like territories, you know, and it's in the image on the, in the twins painting on the right, I felt that was going towards a, uh, they started to look um, more like camouflage, camouflage material, and which then has a whole other kind of connotation ideas. So, and then on the, on the left-hand side with the, the works on paper, it, it, it starts to become um, about territory, about mapping. So somehow you can never get away from these kind of, these ideas mm -hmm. that you, even if you think you kind of consciously trying to get away from somehow, how, how do you go about develop, creating something that you can just get away from an, an idea, you know, an idea is about territory, about, um, don't know, culture. So it, it, was, um, it was just interesting, you know, even when I was just trying to maybe step away from something and be more abstract, I was still feeling as though I was going towards and still had those connotations. And you can really see in St. Louis, you know, one of the great things about the architecture is that you have this, um, these layers and these registers. So I wanted to show you this slide so you can see how landscapes, urban scenes, and barber shops really uh, relate, uh, how these registers can collide. This is uh, camouflage and Northern View. And, you know, in Northern View, this is really, um, I mean, this is really the place where, I mean, and I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit later where I start to see, it, I consider it a portrait. Um, it's a portrait of absence. It's a portrait of lack for me. And it, it's a portrait of a possibility, which I think we'll get to. Is there anything you wanted to say about, about these two paintings? Because I know you talked about different kinds of technique for you and the evolution of technique for you. And I think Northern View on the right was a place where, um, where you really mentioned that. Well, I, I think that they, um, <coughs> I know uh, on looking at them, they, they seem like similar paintings uh, in a way. But um, I think they're about a year or two apart. And uh, I think, yeah, Northern Range was, um, I think it was, a, it, it was a start of just breaking away from the, the using the secu security grill. And I think it was the first, actually I made two things at, at this point. One with, it was supposed to be a kind of double security grill with this, uh, with this grid, with an X, uh, with a security grill, kind of this X-like motif in the middle. and. So they were supposed to kind of be doors, in a sense, and that kind of removed. So I made the one, but decided just to continue making this thing without um, the kind of grill motif. Uh, and then, but just literally, I think that the grill is there in a way because it's there's these um, these these lines where I'd been gridding them up. And I'd used uh, uh, nylon and kind of run it across the um, the painting, and then the nylon would uh, would stick to the painting, and then it would collect the paint, and then 
you, you can you have, you have to pull the nylon away, and then you'll see the hence you'll see these lines. But the lines you see running across is where the uh, the nylon connected collected the paint, just that would run down. And then the painting on the left, which is the current title, is uh, it's I think it's camouflage from right, and um, so this is where it actually starts to become this camouflage. Uh, motif where it starts to slip into uh, less about a kind of uh, abstract kind of mark making and more about this um, yeah just camouflage more material the camouflage and these are Hervin's photographs and what's really important to see about them is not only are the paintings, the paintings aren't based on photographs, but photography informs compositional space. You'll notice that they are of different sizes. They are butted up against each other. Some are on top of each other. So you really have this sense of layering and doubling. And the solo image on the right, which is here at the AGO as well, you know, this is the one where you really have a sense of um, the vertiginous task of looking at another's culture or the vertiginous task of looking at place because it quite literally is dizzying and it was quite literally taken during a moving car. And the other thing, you know, we'd like you to consider when you look at the photography is the role of the barrier that's in all of them. So if the grills were in the paintings, here you can see a concrete barrier and in the solo, image, what you can't see is the river or the stream below the compositional space. So even though it's not necessarily um, explicit, these distancing devices are always present. Well, like, that was something, uh, even in my earlier work, which you, you, don't, you won't see here actually, but I'd kind of uh, come to acknowledge in a way, and uh, I guess I'd when I went to Trinidad, I thought I was, I thought the idea was new, the using these barriers and uh, these grills. But when I'd actually come back and, I, uh, and looking, looking back over things, you'd start to realize, oh yes, this thing was there already. Because I'd, you know, I'd made paintings with, uh, with people standing against uh, ponds and looking across. No. So, um, so but it, it, I guess it's just this idea that sometimes you think that your an idea is new, but it's all very new, and but actually it's not. You are, you're still. You, it's, these ideas are still kind of lingering, and um, but the photographs were are essentially things that I, I just I found interesting, but and. Um, just wanted to, wanted to use them in some way, and they just kind of felt like they were just just lying there, and and somehow they had a place. And and I, I use photographs, you know. I have a lot of I, uh, I take a lot of photographs, and the, and it was a, there was a chance to actually show them, to bring them out in the open. I, I do have a kind of very odd kind of relationship. As I, I, I guess I'm still maybe a little bit old-fashioned in the sense of maybe you're thinking you shouldn't be using this material, you should be painting in the landscape, you should be going out there. But actually, 
I think it's, you know, we're here. Also at the same time, it's a thing where I we're in the 21st, 21st century. We're here now and these things exist. And, you know, why are you uh, fighting, against, in, fighting against them in a sense? Because, you know, they're here. So, um, yeah. That's and here you can see the images that are layered on top of each other butted up next to each other, and this one is you know, on top of each other as well. And the relationship between, again, painting and photography. And this is a, a new photograph that Hervin made for the AGO, and I think that this photograph is absolutely key and integral to the entire show. I think it's, um, you know, it's, it's the Sphinx, really. You'll notice how the image, if you look at the tree, the canopy of the tree, it, um, it, all, it lines up, but as you go down, you see that little branch that um, just seems to be floating from nowhere. And when you see the people in the bottom right frame, what I think about is what happens when they turn the corner and hit the other frame? What happens when the grass changes? And it, it's as if everything is okay, but of course it isn't because it's cropped and it's, um, joined together, it's sutured together, it's fractured. It looks like it's gonna be okay, but it's really, for me, not. Um, and, I, and I think it's a very special, very powerful, very subtle, and I think in relation to that grafting, the figure in the tree, this particular photo um, really coheres. And I think that's the best part about a traveling show, really. I mean, to see how a show evolves, to have sustained looking and see it again. And I think this is really special for, for the AGO. No, it's, um, I originally I, I was going to try to line up because I think where that section where that branch is, that's kind of two thirds away down on the left hand side. I was going to try and let line up, which is what I, I would normally do. But I, what kind of intrigued me was the actual tree in the background seemed to line up. And it seemed to be creating an even more of a kind of tension. Because uh, you feel like it's working, it's, it's okay. But then as you move across the image or move down the image, you realize that things aren't, are not lining up. It's, it's, it's doing something else. So, yeah, I'd, I'd, um, I'd, I'd, I guess it's that. What I'm also interested in is that that thing of you are you're looking at something and it, things shift and things are not quite the same. Um, yeah, as you look at things sometimes. So. And. The relationship to sculpture and the works on paper really come to the fore. This is St. Louis. And Hervin's sculptures are, um, how shall we say, they're painted wood boxes. They're essentially trompe l'oeil. They are um, takeout containers, disposable takeout containers, mother's chicken, um, authentic beef patties. How do products, how, do, how does the consumer framework define and shape who we are and how are we received? Um, 
And we'll get back to the sculptures, but I wanted to point to this painting, Fosca Fosca, which is in the show. It is not a new painting, but it's new to the exhibition. And this is the painting um, where I, I think it makes the sculptures key. And you can see that it's a, a, a grocery store. You can ask for a product and it would be given to you. You are completely barred from two, four, five of the quadrants. And you see the commercial products in that window. That's the place to enter, right? So when we go back and we see how do the products inform, it's almost time for questions. But we have to really get to this because it's super important. Um, this is a new sculpture that was made for the AGO, Adult Formula. It's hair straightener, and my favorite, extra black, which I think is the place where Hervin's cultural critique is the sharpest, you know, as if black isn't enough, right? This is extra black, and the letters are doubled, and it really complicates the legibility of um, race and identity, not only in America or in England, but really in, in a global way. Um, did you want to speak a just a little bit about the construction of these boxes and has um, sculpture always been part of the practice for you? Um, no, I, they, they came about as a, I, I guess you know, I'm, I'm, I'm never really a fan of the one-liner, but they were kind of one-liners and it was, they, they came about and they just started and I just continued to make, it's part what started with the mother's chicken and the juicy. And um, I don't know, I found them humorous in a way. I, you know, I, I, I couldn't uh, escape that part of things, so I just kind of just just continued with that and and hoped uh, I could uh, not inject humor, but it, I know I did. Um, they were they kind of they were, they're kind of odd. They were kind of odd things, and you could play with them and in terms of uh, just just painting them. And, and as for and I guess also what they are is a, uh, they're, they're kind of an iconography, in, in a way. Uh, the, uh, the park, the, uh, the hair products, uh, mother's chicken, uh, I'm trying to think of it, all these other, you know, the grills, they're, they're kind of an iconography of, you know, a particular space. And I, I guess I'm, I'm always kind of interested in the kind of how to, uh, just looking for these things that I never don't meaning as well. So. Well, its relationship to Warhol is, you know, obvious and apparent, right? So if Warhol favored seriality and the elimination of the artist's hand, I think this is the place where the artist's hand comes back in. And I think it's a really important analog to, to pop or an extension of pop. And we wanted to end on this, this uh, diptych because Again, when you look at flat top, really look very carefully at the hair on the floor and the way that that mark is rendered. It's like a fingerprint, it's a smudge, it's a dot. And when you look at Northern Range, it's the same kind of mark making. So if flat top um, is about an index and the absence of the individual, might Northern Range be perceived the same way? They are both portraits of lack and absence, um, and I think that they really uh, make a very strong argument for the show. Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just going back because I think sometimes I, if if people just see to see these two images, they'll think, "Oh, 
where's he coming from? You right. know, of course. So, um, so th this is where I guess that thing about a kind of iconography, this not um, um, so much, yeah. The, you know, this, uh, this the landscape was most kind of more. It, it's part of Northern Range or the part of Trinidad, a place in Trinidad, which was to do with. You know, I was trying to uh, pick at this kind of iconography about uh, islands and so forth in the uh, in the Caribbean. Whereas um, the barbershop was um, again, it's the second of the series, and I have been a bit, little bit more literal about this in the sense that it was about the it was about the space. It was about uh, the images on the wall, and and again, it's part of the thing where I I I drop the images out. Essentially, there's supposed to be images in these things. There's supposed to be a figure, mm -hmm. and this is the point where I have not used a figure. So. Yeah, I mean that's the that that's the key. You know, they both um, speak to absence and invisibility. So I think now we'll open it up to questions from the audience. I hope you've been able to have the tools and the key when you walk through the show to think through these things, so. Hello, hello. Hervin, um, as, uh, as someone who was born and raised in Jamaica, um, I find it striking and really interesting actually how you're able to capture typical scenes in Jamaica. So for example, these, these houses, even though some of them are, I think you said from Trinidad, you know, with these security bars I mean, in Jamaica, we call them burglar bars, yeah. and all the houses have them. I mean, unless you're living in a shantytown. But um, these wrought iron bars, uh, and one of your, your best paintings, I think, which I, I don't know if it's in the show, I can't remember the name of it, but it's the one with the tennis court, and, you know, yes. the, um, and the, uh, the chain link fence. And your work is so much about uh, the outsider looking in and, and being removed or feeling displaced or feeling apart from the scene itself. Uh, unlike, I think, what um, um, yeah, you were saying about the, the barbershop, feeling like you're, you're the barber, I, I find it the opposite, actually. I feel like you're, um, as the viewer, you feel like, um, you know, uh, for example, with the tennis court, you know, 99.9% .9 of the people in Jamaica never get to a tennis court, right? Because it's such an exclusive thing. Um, my question is, you were born in, in England of Jamaican parentage. How were you, how were you able to, to, to kind of really capture that, uh, that sense of being in Jamaica? I mean, the mango trees. I mean, I remember, remember climbing mango trees when I was a boy. Um, so uh, I think uh, I, I just find that very, very interesting. And, and, and hopefully you can comment on that. Um, I, th I think a lot of my points is actually is that I don't actually know about these experiences. I am um, the last of eight, and everyone else was born in, in Jamaica, and I was born in, uh, in the UK. So you, you, especially when I was younger, there was these kind of discussions about Jamaica, you know. So, and, you know, there's, it's always been this thing of, this, it's kind of a, it's kind of a questioning, I, I, you know, it's about authenticity, I think, as well. You know, it's about, uh, can you, you know, can a guy from, who was born in England, can he relate to being in, 
in Jamaica. And it's just about this kind of ideas of how things overlap and uh, commonalities and how one thing informs the other. And, and I guess I'd, I'd always made paintings, especially earlier work. It's always, to me, it's always set in the UK about Britain, which is fairing up, which was, I think was a fairing up, fair enough point. But also I felt as though I should be finding a way to kind of questioning, you know, how the two things, how the one thing impinges on the other. And um, I guess, I'm, you know, I'm, every, every time someone asks me that question, I'm, you know, I'm waiting for the, the poem when I get told off, you know, you shouldn't be using these things and, you know, it's, you don't know anything about them. And in a way, you're probably right, I, I don't. But I think it's a kind of, it's kind of questioning about, you know, because you know, I feel as though I should know, you know, in a way, but actually I, I, I don't. And it, it's a kind of exploration of uh, uh, maybe what that means, or I'm, I'm, I'm almost waiting for someone else to tell me, well, no, maybe that's not right, you know, you should be thinking about something else in a way. But um, no, it's, it's, it's a kind of questioning, I'm trying to find out in a way, you know. And I hope that answers the question. I hope that answers your question. And I would just say that's really the place where the sculptures also come into play, right? I mean, who do you think the hair straightener is for? Who, what is the relationship between production and consumption, you know, and, and how do we remember? I mean, it's all, I think it's all there, you know. Um, we'll take one more question. Hello. Oh, sorry. Um, I really enjoyed, uh, Jeffrey, your interpretation of all these uh, paintings and images. It was quite uh, Is there a butt detailed coming? and fantastic. <laughs> so I wanted to ask uh, Hervin whether the interpretation that Jeffrey has and gets out of your work, was that ever your intent? <laughs> now we're on dangerous territory. No, I, I, uh, I, <laughs> I didn't mean no like that, but... Um, it's, it's, it's interpretation, isn't it? You know, I, um, I, I, I wouldn't know how to block off this, how, how anyone reads something, and I wouldn't like to actually, you know, block off an interpretation. And, and often, so, sometimes, uh, you, uh, something's said, and I'm not sure about it, and then someone says the same thing, and you kind of think, okay, well, maybe there is, there is something to, to what is being said. So it's, uh, I'm, you know, it's, it, it, is an, it is an interpretation and, you know, Jeff is a curator and a writer, so, you know, it would be naturally, you know, would have kind of opened these things up more than I maybe would. It's okay. You, you know what I would, I would add, because I've been thinking about this a lot, um, I think the best artists don't know what they're doing. They just do. Oh, thanks. Do you know what I mean? No, but... I, but in a real way, like the, it, this isn't about thinking your way out of a problem. It's about making. It's about um, they just they make it because they have to, and they trust their instincts, and they know what they're doing. And the role of a art historian and a scholar is to interpret what the maker makes. I think the worst art, really, is the art where the artist is so consciously aware of what they're doing. They're visualizing an idea. That's that's not that's for me. And I, and I think these paintings and these sculptures and these photographs prove that. 
So I'm just going to repeat the question because we didn't have a microphone, so I will try very hard to capture the, the intent of your question. Um, the, the audience member asked, as, an, as a, a master artist who happens to be black, um, whose work is often shown and interpreted by a dominant white privileged culture, how he negotiates that, um, that perception that if Jeffrey had in fact been an African-American curator, would his questions have been different? Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, so anyways, I'm going to hand it over to you and, and let you answer that. Um, I think my position is I, th I think everyone knows, uh, you know, it's, it's plain to be I'm, I'm black, I'm from, I'm from Britain, and everybody un understands this. And I think it's almost a, a position. So it's, it's not something I push to one side or... Uh, I, I, think, I think at some point I did, you know, how, you know, how do you negotiate this thing? You know, how, you know, and that's not to say this thing, it sounds like I'm belittling it, the, the position or the question. But I, I think everyone knows and everyone understands. And um, I don't know. I, I don't. Somehow, sometimes, I'm, is it for me? To, you know, it's a kind of question about society or for society, and to kind of. Um, not, it, but maybe it's unfair that I'm trying to palm it off. But I'm. I'm not. But it. It is part of. You want to exist. You want to do what you do. And essentially, the, these questions are around the work. Uh, you, you paint, you know. Um, a lot of these arenas I paint are socially charged, and they um, they bring up all kinds of questions. So it's the point is not whether you can you know back away from them or you bring up all the questions that are within these, uh, these arenas. And I don't have an answer, you know. I'd, lo I'd love to have an, a, a kind of an answer, but you just try and op openly, honestly bring them up and say, well, listen, this is what it is, you know. And, and I, th I think partly what I'm trying to say in the work is that, you know, we can't escape some of these things. We'd like to, in a way, you know. Not, I'd, I'd like to make a totally abstract work, which is about, something else about nature, but actually somehow I can't really escape it in a, in a, in a sense. So, yeah, so, I hope that can answer. We're working away. I'd really like you to join me in thanking Jeffrey and Hervin. Thank